Thank you so much for being a listener of the Deep Believer Show. We love our listeners, we pray for our listeners, and we love to hear from our listeners. So if you have anything you'd like to say, if you have any testimonies, or if you have any questions, leave us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. Again, we would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for being a listener of The Deep Believer Show. everyone. This is Jennifer Bagnashi with Deep Believer. Today we have with us someone who went from jihad to Jesus. That's right. Jihad to Jesus. He was born in Iran. He was raised to very much embrace Islam to the extreme. When he was a teenager, he joined the Iranian army. But from there, he learned about Jesus Christ. And he's here to share with us what he learned. And you're going to hear his ride. So please do not turn that dial. Mohammed Faridi, thank you so much for being with us today. Of course, thank you for having me, Jennifer. I know you were born in Iran. Did you start off in strong Islamic faith or were your parents devout, non-devout? How did that look like? I was born uh, in 1984 and um, the in, in city of Tehran, while our city was being bombed by the bomb, bomber jets of the Iraqi army so uh, when i was born uh, they called our generation the generation that was born in the middle of war the generation of war so i was born to a muslim family iranian uh, typical iranian muslim family and um, into war into bloodshed into destruction and um, uh, my uncle two of my cousins actually uh, joined the war voluntarily and they died uh, in protecting the country and the protecting Islam and so on and so forth. So that was the environment I was uh, born and raised in. And uh, my mom is a devout Muslim. Islam is what I knew. Islam is what I breathed. Islam is what I ate. Everything about my life was about surrounded by this ideology as we know Islam. So that's um, my bringing up. Now, I know you mentioned to me that your mother instilled it more than your father. Is that common in Islamic faith for a mother to be more uh, Islamic than the father or could it differ? It just, it just depends. But um, Islam is a very, um, it's, it's a religion for male, for men. Uh, there's very little mention about women. Women uh, are secondary to men. They are considered as a state to men. But um for, for a Muslim woman to be saved, to be honorable, they have to, she has to raise up her children, especially her boys, in the Islamic ways and bring up some good uh, Muslim uh, jihadis. Because be the belief is if, um, if someone in a Muslim family dies in jihad and he enters paradise directly, Therefore, he can intercede for 70 members of the family. So the mothers will encourage their sons in that, in that uh, upbringing in order to be saved or be rescued out of the wrath of Allah. So what does it look like if a family were to have a daughter? Well, um, um, unfortunately, it's a shame. What do you mean by a shame? So it, 
uh, they're not very significant. It's just something to marry off to another person. Wow. So it's um, the sons bring honor to a family in a culture of honor and shame. My mom's uncle had six daughters and the seventh one eventually became a son. Until that, none of them were important. And the seventh uh, ch child, which eventually they made so many that they had a son, that that, was be that became the center of the family, the center of the attention. Because the daughters are very, the girls, the female is very insignificant in the Islamic ideology. So I know you mentioned that Islam is a faith basically mainly for men. Mm -hmm. Are they promised something in heaven? So what are they told? There what are they not, told what they get when they get to heaven? There's not one mention of women mm -hmm. in heaven in the Islamic doctrines. None. Nothing. Zero. The only mention is the uh, self-claimed prophet of Islam. There's a hadith that is the traditions of Islam, that the, the recordings of the sayings and the doings of the self-claimed prophet of Islam which is as authentic, as valuable to Muslims as, as the Quran is. So, and the Hadith uh, says that uh, the self-claimed prophet of Islam, uh, when he woke up from a nightmare and uh, his um, people, they call it Havarion, the people that were, they, they were around him, Ashab, the people that they were fighting with him, they asked him, Muhammad, what is going on? What, why are you so, what, 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 was in, what was in your nightmare? Why are you so afraid? He says that, that I saw that Allah is using women as the wood to fire up the hell. She, he, Allah was using the women as fuel to keep the f uh, burning fire of hell going. So she was afraid. And in many, many hadiths, many, many hadiths, many uh, verses of the Quran, females or women are belongings or estates to men, are secondary, they're not mentioned, they're unclean. Um, and um, there, um, uh, when 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 a man is praying and a woman passes by, the prayer would not be heard by Allah. So there are things of that nature. And you see, when you go to a Muslim country, the women are uh, walking behind a man, the man, the children, and the woman. It's just how how Islam treats treats women. So there's nothing in in heaven or paradise, in in regard to women. And when you read about the paradise of Islam, it is. Um, uh, a very lustful, sinful, twisted uh, idea of a place that a man will have 70 virgins. Some places to 72 virgins. So if a man would have virgins, what what a woman would? Nothing. It's this, There's no mention. So, That's really interesting you say that because you said they're promised 70 virgins in heaven, but yet it doesn't even mention women in heaven. Absolutely. But yet they get virgins. So where did the virgins come from? Yeah, that, that's the virgins. And then the man has a uh, uh, rivers of honey and, and wine. Even though wine or alcohol is forbidden here for Muslims, they will get it there. I mean, what kind of a religion is this? But today, 1.8 billion people believe that. When you were being brought up in this, did you ever question? Did you? I know everyone around you was more than likely Muslim. Did you ever question your faith? Of course I did. Um, we're we're Persians. We speak Farsi. One day I was I don't know six seven years old. I was praying to Allah in Farsi in in the, in uh, early in the morning, before the dawn. You get up, wash yourself with cold water, and then you stand before Allah facing Mecca, and you re repeat some Arabic chapters of the Quran. And it has to be in Arabic. It has to be. Allah only understands Arabic. Hmm. So I was repeating. 
and memorize and repeat. It's like a parrot has no understanding involved in it. You don't understand what she's saying. So I was repeating these prayers to Allah. And uh, it just, you know, you're as a child, you have um, uh, questions. You go to your mom, ask questions. My, I, I did. I went to my mom and I asked, Mom, can I pray in my mother tongue? Can I speak Farsi to Allah? Can I understand what I say? And then she said to me, if you ask questions, you will doubt. This is a verse in the Quran. She was quoting from the Quran. If you, if you ask too many questions, you doubt. And Allah will burn doubters in hell. So she scared the hell out of me at age six or seven. So the critical thinking, the thinking to, to be thoughtful about what you do, it does not exist in the Islamic world, in the Eastern culture. It doesn't exist. They, they kill that critical thinking early in you that you never doubt, you don't question, you just follow and my mom said, Islam is submission. Islam is surrender. A good Muslim surrenders, does not ask questions. That's what I wanted to become. I wanted to be a good Muslim. So I surrendered and never asked more questions because I didn't want to be burnt in hell. Mm. And it's amazing that you say that because I know previously you mentioned to me that you were just baffled years ago when you found out the Western world sees Islam as peace. But you said it does not mean peace. No, you can Google it. The word Islam means submission. This is a made-up uh, terminology, a made-up propaganda in the West that Islam means peace. The word Salam, because it's very similar to word Islam, Salam is Shalom, that we get it from the Hebrews. Shalom means peace. That word means peace. Salam, Shalom means peace. But because it's similar to Islam, they have rewrite a word in order to propagate that Islam means peace. The word Islam means surrender. Okay, let's go back to you when, okay. <laughs> when you were in Iran and you are of age to join the military. What age is that? But before we get there, let me tell you how I grew up. So sure, I would I love that. This, um, Muslim family, I went to the Quran classes. I memorized God knows how many chapters of the Quran in my head in order to because the belief was if you memorize the Quran because it's the holy book and if it's in your head, if it's in your heart and you memorize this book, these verses, uh, because it's holy, Allah will not burn you, can't burn you in hell. So I was memorizing as much as I could. We were Shia Muslims and uh, Shia Muslim, everything that a Shia Muslim does is, is through imams, is through the interceders, mediums, because a sinful Muslim cannot uh, directly, is not worthy to be directly talking to God. Therefore, he has to have a medium. And who is the, the medium? Is the cousin or the son-in-law of the prophet, a self-claimed prophet of Islam. It is the um, his, his grandchildren's and people that are they had especially blood relationship to him, direct blood relationship to him, because they are considered as sinless. So they could be interceding for you. So there are shrines of them. Uh, there, uh, there is a major shrine in uh, uh, south part of the city of Tehran. There is a major shrine in uh, city of Mashhad. There is a major shrine in eastern part of Iraq, and uh, of these imams, important imams. So you go to these shrines for a pilgrimage, and then uh, as a pilgrim, you go to these shrines and you um, tie yourself to these people, to these important figures in Islamic. Shia believes 
that they intercede for you. So uh, they have died 1400 years ago, but you commemorate their death today, just like they, they, are, they are dead today. So they, you mourn in their death and you want to be showing them how sorrowful you are and the tears that you're uh, pouring for them. And then during this mourning uh, ceremonies, Men, of course, gather together everywhere because it's a time of mourning, time of eulogy. The men gather in a room, uh, in a shrine, in a mosque, in a place, doesn't matter where it is. There is a leader that recites a eulogy and, the re and, this, and this eulogy has a rhyme. It has beats. Uh, so with those beats, you start beating yourself on your chest. You start beating yourself on your face. You get a chain. They're, they have made these chains, that small chains that has a handle, and you beat your back with those chains in order to show um, that you are um, making yourself one with them and how sorrowful and how, how uh, bad feeling you have in regard to them. Because if you gain their favor, they will intercede for you in the day of judgment. And the belief is if you shed tears or shed blood for them, they will intercede for you. And um, there's another ceremony. I never forget in a ten. there's a ceremony that you do this 10, 10 days in a row and you commemorate the death of these imams in a war that they died. So nine days in a row, I beat myself so much. I physically beat myself so much, self-flagellate myself so much. I beat myself on my chest. That was my chest. My bruises were bleeding. My back was bruised. And on the 10th day, I couldn't get out of my bed to go beat myself. And I was ashamed of myself. And I said, what kind of a Muslim are you that you cannot fulfill the least asked as a Muslim? And there's another ceremony that you um, cut your head with a sword. You... You hit your head with a sword uh, because the first um, sh uh, Shia Imam died in a prayer, in a morning prayer, with a sword to his head from back. So you just bring that up and you do that in order to show how much you um, want to be one with that person. And you even want to partake in his death in the in the way that actually he died. I uh, knelt in front of a Muslim cleric. And he took the sword and uh, there was a bunch of people that they were lining up. And then he wiped the blood off of the sword from the uh, person that he hit prior to me. He wiped the blood off and he hit my head, landed that sword right on my head several times. And I was repeating the uh, chanting of the name of that imam. And with the chanting, he was hitting my head. And that, sh that sword was so sharp, chopped through my hair. I mean, like a razor blade i mean chopped through my hair and cut hit my skull and when i touched after he was done when i touched i had chopped hair and blood was running on the side of my hair that's how i wanted to show my dedication to this uh religion to this to this way of life as, as known as shia muslim to shed my own blood to wash away my sin my condemnation that i carried as a muslim to get rid of it by sanctifying myself with blood I remember you mentioning a while back that you could actually hear the knife on your skull. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When you hit it, you don't hear it with the outside ear. You hear it inside. That's how cruel and evil this practice is. But it's very common. It's done here in America. It's done in Canada. It has really? reported that. Absolutely. You can Wait, where up. in America is this? 
happening? Many places in America. Mosques. Many places in America. In mosques, in homes, or mosques and homes in on the streets. Oh wow! Now, so tell me this: when you were saying this stuff, I was wondering. I mean, this is torture. Basically, you're self-torturing yourself, right? Flagellate yourself. You. Yeah. This is the way you pay the penance. Now, did anyone ever die from these rituals? From the infections, of course. Mm -hmm. Now, so if a person were to die performing these rituals, was oh, there a reward? They're martyrs. They're martyrs. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's considered very valuable. Now, so do you still have scars or have you healed? Do you still have scars? I do, from I do have the scars on my head. This is why this is the miserable life I lived before Christ. By the man's work, I was trying to save myself. But the more I did, the more Islamic I became, the, the more Muslim I became, the more Islam I practice every day, the more miserable, the more hopeless, the more desperate I became. Now, I know you mentioned also in what you were describing how you would pray to the imams, the dead, I guess, prophets. Yeah, you, you intercede uh -huh. because you're not worthy to go to Allah. Allah is a distant God. He's impersonal. So you have to go to find a person to intercede for you. So we go to the shrines. We circle around the shrines and we plead. We hold this, the the metal uh, doors and the, the, the places of these shrines. And we hold, we, we hold fast to it. We bind ourselves to it and ask those dead people to intercede for us. Did you ever hear anything back? Absolutely not. Yeah. So so they do believe in a form of necromancy, speaking mm -hmm. to the dead. They wow. do. So when you became of age, right? Now, I when were you performing this? Sorry? I finished high school, and then it's mandatory to join, uh, to serve the military. And um, the branch I served was the Revolutionary Guard of Iran. And then, but you mentioned to me earlier that at the age of 13 is when you really start jihad. Remember um, the word jihad means a struggle. Mm -hmm. So you're striving and a struggling as a Muslim internally that to you carry this mission outward. It's not, um, jihad is not that um, word. We use it in, in the West for the people that they have a suicide vest on themselves and then they kill themselves. That is, that is the last part of the jihad. Jihad is this a striving to be a better Muslim, to be um, working towards something that is much higher than you. Now, when you joined after high school, first of all, what is mandatory to join? Do you have to join? Is it mandatory? Is there a way out of joining? How does that work? Okay, um, it is mandatory. Every male that is healthy has to serve two years. Sometimes it's 20 months, 21 months. Sometimes it's more than that. But you have to serve for two years. And um, if you have medical excuses or uh, some other things, you can. Uh, but it is very rare. Everyone serves. So what's your duty? So once you join the Revolutionary Army, what is the goal? What's the mission? So the goal of the, uh, pr the training is to keep... The culture of jihad, the culture, the cultural war, the culture of martyrdom alive in you. So yes, you practice with guns, and you they teach you how to dive when the bombs are coming, and this and that. But that's a very minor things. It's a very very minor things. Yes, they have yeah physical training and running and marching and things of that. Is but is a minor. The keeping the culture, keeping the spirit of war and jihad in you, keeping the spirit of martyrdom in you, you that is the, the their goal, their mission is that. 
So um, I tell you, uh, for example, part of our training was to, they took us, um, it's like, um, um, you could call it, you could compare it with a mission trip. They call it a mission trip. They take you, um, the, the, the um, dedicated, more of a pious um, Muslim soldiers, they go to this mission trips called On the Path to Light. And uh, they take you to the um, western or southwest Iran, where Iran borders with, with Iraq, where the most of the war happened in the beginning of the revolution. Eight years of war. Hundreds of thousands of people um, died. They were killed. They are considered martyred. And uh, so they take you to those areas, to those fields, and they show you what, it, what, what is the cost of being a Muslim, being a good Muslim. What is the cost of uh, protecting your family? And uh, part of that training is that they put you in empty tombs and graves during night. So those, the graves of the, those martyrs 40 years ago, 40, 35 years ago, they put you in those empty tombs during the night in order for you to fight the fear of death, in order to overcome that fear. So that's part of training. I mean, this is not normal. I have been in, in there. I have been in those situations. You're, you're, um, you are in, in, when you're in that situation, they're telling you to, what is the word, to unite you with the spirit of martyrdom. That's how they fight their spiritual battles. That ha that's how they psychologically, they prepare you for those kind of things. Now, when they put you in these graves, were you ever terrorized? Were you of ever, course. did you ever experience anything that was like, did it mentally mess with you? Absolutely. You're, uh, when I looked up, when I was inside looking to the sky, there is nothing. It's a desert. It's, you can hear nothing. And the sky is over you. I mean, it is so dark that um, you couldn't see your hand in front of you. And you're sitting there and you're feeling that this, uh, the walls of this grave will fall on you and collapse on you and you'll be buried alive. And how long do they keep you in these graves for? And, and is it a Hours consistent during thing? The night. Okay. And is it like a one-time thing where, okay, it's a one-time training or is it? You can do it as many, as, as many times as you want. Oh, so as you want. So if you want mm -hmm. to do it once, you could say once is enough for me. Mm -hmm. So what were you taught? I mean, so when you, when you were practicing, right, when you were in the army, do they instill Islam? You know, like, um, do they talk about Allah or Muhammad, whatever? Do, do they talk? They do. Okay. That's all we talk about. So it's in, a religious in a thing too. Country. Okay. It is not, you, ha you have to understand this one thing, Jennifer, because this is very, very important. Islam is not like Christianity. You don't compartmentalize things. You don't say, okay, I go Sunday to church, but Monday I'm a heathen. And Tuesday I vote for someone else. Do you know? It is everything. From the way it dictates to you from what you eat, how you eat it, how far you can walk, what you wear, what, with what foot you go to the bathroom. Every details of your life. It is Islam. So it's life. It is your life. It is everything, your name, your everything, your school. Nothing is more important than that to, to a Muslim. And how long were you in the Revolutionary Army for? Two years. Two years. Okay. So during that time, or even after, when did you learn or even hear the truth about Jesus Christ? Because I remember 
earlier, you mentioned to me that you didn't know anything about Christianity. And when you heard about Jesus, it was just that, okay, Jesus was a prophet in the Bible, but it really wasn't emphasized. When did you first hear about Christianity and when did you truly learn the truth of Jesus Christ and how did you receive it? So I was out of the army for about four or five months and um, I was wondering what am I going to do with my life? And um, uh, I dealt with a lot of identity crisis and the things that I had questions about and life seemed very bleak to me. Um, I was very suicidal, very, very uh, hopeless about the future and the life my family was living. It was, um, I just didn't want to live that life. It, it seems, it seemed very boring and very purposeless to me. Like you're getting up, you're going to work, you have wife and children. And then it's just nothing about it uh, was something that I looked forward to. So I was very, very hopeless. Everything felt, felt gray, colorless. And um, that, that was what I was dealing with after the, um, my military service. And then um, I have a friend that we grow up uh, together since, since age six. His mom and my dad were co-workers at the hospital. So we grow up, we went to school on and off together. We were in the same class and so on. So we, we, we knew one another. But when I went to serve in the army, uh, he didn't because um, he was medically exempt. And uh, when he got medically exempt, we got separated for about two years and, and even more than two years. So when I came back, um, I just called him to see what he's doing with his life and see um, if he has anything to offer. And um, he said he wants to see me. So I had a motorcycle, went and picked him up. And um, in few minutes talking to him, I realized the man has changed. He's, he was very mellow. He was very peaceful. I, it, I felt there's a light coming out of him, which bothered me. And uh, I just, it, it was something really uh, um, awkward was going on that I couldn't figure out what is it, what is it? I couldn't pinpoint what's the matter with him. And I asked him if he's, if he's on some sort of a dr drug or if he's, if he's using something, if, if something like that. And then he said, um, uh, no, uh, everything is okay. And then I kept asking till he said that he became a Christian. And um, um, that's a good friend, you know, uh, I need to mention that a good friend that puts his life in danger for you, that's a good friend. I said, I asked him, because in the Muslim mindset, you don't become something. Everything is predestined and preordained for you. Everything is fate. One of the pillars of beliefs in Islamic culture, in Islamic religion, is fate. Nothing, you cannot change nothing. Everything has been ordained by Allah for you. You don't have any will in, involved in it. You don't have any responsibility. So when the man said, I have become Christian, that was really a new concept I have heard. So I kept asking, what do you mean by becoming a Christian? And then he said this and that, and he explained a whole lot of things, he explained many things to me, but I didn't hear none of it. You see, I have ears, but I couldn't hear. It felt like somebody was holding my ears not to hear. 
until he said this sentence that changed for my changed my life for good. He said, didn't after about two hours of conver com conversations, arguments, after two hours, he said, didn't you ask the reason for peace? I tell you, it is Jesus Christ. And if you led him, he will be sacrificed for you. He'll die for you. And this is how he explained the gospel to me. He said he was bruised, he was beaten, he was cut. They nailed him to the cross. He gave up his life. He gave his life for your sake. And if you believe in that, you will have eternal life. That is the one best thing I've ever heard in my life. That is the only good thing I've heard in my life. Everything, every lie, every deception that I was in, in a matter of a second, the Lord just revealed it to me. That how much lies, how much deception I was in. Because everything that the gospel is and everything that Jesus Christ has accomplished for me, I was trying to accomplish it for myself. I was trying to earn it. I was trying to gain it. I was trying to work for it. But for an unworthy, sinful man like me, the work of righteousness was a filthy rag to God. It worth nothing. I was trying to beat myself, to cut myself, to bruise myself, to shed my own blood, to gain salvation, to be in right standing with God was but wasn't working because it was accomplished for me 2000 years ago and when I heard that the word of God the truth of the gospel the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ pierced like a sword pierced my heart and I was cut to my heart and I fell on my knees and I begged him I begged my friend what do I need to do to receive this? What do I need to do to have what you have? And he told me, you need to close your eyes and ask God. You need to repent of your sins and ask Jesus to be your savior and your God, which is a blasphemy according to Islam. I closed my eyes and I said, God, I can't help myself. I'm a sinful man. I have tried and I failed. You take away my sins. I was a slave. I want to be a son. Jesus, would you forgive me? And I receive his, your forgiveness. And I opened my eyes after that simple prayer. And for the first time in 23 years, I could see colors. Wow. So when you prayed that prayer, did you experience a change right away? Was it gradual? Oh, absolutely. Amen. The brawl. The hateful brawl that I had with myself and with the people around me. That that thing that I was in a war with, it looked it was a cancer that was eating me up from within. It was like yanked out of me. And for the first time in 23 years, I felt peace. It was just like a storm that came to a calm in a matter of a second. And I just knew the war is over. I just knew it. When you learned that Jesus was bruised and pierced for you, and he took the beating, did your mind go back to 
you having to beat yourself? And did you realize that I don't have to do this anymore? It was already done for me. Yeah, it was exposed. The lies was the the, the lies, the deception were exposed. And that's why I realized it is not working. What I'm trying to do to myself, it's not helping me. Because of a blood of a sinful man cannot wash sins. You need a blood. You need a blood that is, there is no sin in it. How can a blind man help another blind? They walk and fall in the same hole. How can a dead man help another dead man? You need somebody from the outside to come and help. That was the missing point that was revealed to me in that moment. Before this, before this, what did you think of Jesus? Before all of this, he was a prophet. Before all of this, he was someone that came before the self-claimed prophet of Islam that couldn't finish what he, he was sent by Allah to do. So Allah has to send the next one to complete what Jesus failed at. That's what I knew about Jesus. That's what I knew about Christianity. And then you mentioned to me also that you were taught in Islam to deny the fatherhood of God and the sonship of, of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. It's blasphemy. It's blasphemy if you consider God as your father. Why? Because that's what they teach you. Because the spirit of Antichrist is uh, living well in Islam. So first, first of all, when you gave your life to the Lord, did you tell your parents right away? And how did they um, re react? It took, it took a while um, for them to realize it. I, I went home. I knew that as a good Muslim, I knew that if you uh, leave Islam, you're an apostate. And apostasy is punishable by death. So I had crisis after, after believing in Jesus. I had a uh, situation that I had to deal with. That situation is um, that now I have left Islam for Christianity or I believe that Jesus is God. That is blasphemy. That is apostasy. And either of those are punishable by death. And I knew that. I was, I knew, I knew the Sharia. I knew the Islamic law. So I said, that was my crisis. So when I, when I did that, I said, so everything we believe, everything my family believes, everything that I am, I have grown up in, everything I was taught Every person I look around from my family members, from my friends, they all believe a lie. They are as deceived as I was. So that was my crisis after that moment. So I went on a journey to really find out if Christianity is truth, if Islam is a lie, and what, it, what would be the solution if that is the case. So I tried to keep it, keep low and keep it silent and, um, Silence and uh, not to uh, make an make an announcement till I'm made sure. And uh, that was my journey after believing. So I went and uh, to a church. I went uh, uh, got a, a New Testament, which is an illegal book. If you carry one and you get caught, you'll be thrown in jail. So. I went and got a book, uh, a New Testament, and started reading to make sure um, what I'm doing is correct. And um, I had to deal. I had to. 
I had to deal with my doubt and and my um, fears and um, crisis that I entered after my after I believed in Jesus. So that's the situation. But the journey was not not long, and the journey was very very fun. Because the more I read the Bible and the more I went to church and the more I spent time with Christians, I realized it is absolutely true. Jesus is the only Savior. There is no other name has been given unto man that there is salvation in it. And the more I, the, the more I read the Bible, the more the Lord spoke to me from His Word and convinced me and washed me with with the water of his word and i was there i had no choice other than telling them the truth how did you find other christians in iran because i'm sure it was dangerous to admit you're a christian right so how did you find other christians in other churches in iran and how did you get there safely and worship safely so it is not safe at all uh because islam is very peaceful you know jennifer it is so peaceful that if you leave it, they chop off your head publicly. It is so peaceful, mm. wonderfully peaceful. It is Islam is peace, but if you leave it, they stone you to death publicly. Isn't that interesting? So that was a side note, though. But um, uh, through the friend that uh, told me about the Lord, his aunt was sitting in a taxi, and the taxi driver was a uh, Christian pastor and um, a taxi driver talked to the aunt of my friend and then she converted first she heard the gospel through many visitations she accepted the Lord and then she talked to my friend and he talked to me so we had some contacts to the underground church and then uh, that's how I um, went to the church Islam is so peaceful that all of the churches in Iran are underground and b believers have to be carefully gather in a home or in a place to worship Jesus. So from there, how long did it take for you to get from you being saved, giving your life to Jesus and getting over here to America? So I was in Iran as a um, practicing evangelical Christian for about three years. It was absolute God's protection over my life that through all of my um, immaturity and stupidity i didn't get caught as a believer because the day i left iran i had 400 bibles under my bed in our home and if you get caught with that many bibles i mean they crucify you so i evangelized i traveled i did a lot of things among the underground church and uh, it became to a point I, I can't get into details but it became to a point that my family was in danger and um, they told me if they if they catch me, not not that they only hurt me, they will hurt my family. I mean, my family is still Muslim. I, what 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 do they have to do with anything? In order for for uh, them to hurt you, they will hurt your family in the process. So I just left um, uh, for their sake, for their sake too, not only for my sake, for they, their sake too. So I left Iran, and um, through series of things and. Um, as I said, God's hand was on my life, and um, I don't know if it wasn't a miracle, I would not be in, the, in America. I would be someplace else. So, but God's been uh, leading me and guiding me every step of my life, and um, 
I ended up here in America about 10 years ago. Amen. So you revealed something to me that I have to mention that it blew my mind. And even after I spoke to you, I mentioned it to a friend and they just couldn't believe it. And this was about the Abrahamic faith. When you came to America, you told me that there are some, there are, there's propaganda here in America that you never heard in Islam, that you never heard over in Iran. And I'm sure anybody watching this right now who are Christians and who have, you know, sat in congregations or even who have watched Christian videos, when you hear what Muhammad's about to say, it may blow your mind. Muhammad, what did you tell me about the Abrahamic faith? So, um, for example, uh, I, like Islam is peace, this this statement, which um, uh, George Bush used, Obama repeated 5,000 times. And then you hear it everywhere that Islam is peace. People say that. The Christians, the pastors say Islam means peace. I was I was born and raised a Muslim. I, was, I lived in the Middle East 28 years of my life. And I have never heard this statement other than in America or Western Christian circles that somehow Islam is peace. And then uh, they have changed the translation of the word Islam from submission and surrender to peace because that doesn't fit their narratives. That's the one thing. The second one was that somehow Islam is an Abrahamic faith and they categorize Christianity, Islam, and Judaism in the same category. Somehow they're monotheistic Islam, uh, Abrahamic faith. I'm like, what? Islam is the most anti-Christian or anti-Judaism faith that ever existed. If you go uh, to the chapter 98 of the Quran. You can just look it up. Go to the chapter 98 of the Quran, verse 6, I believe. It says, Christians and the Jews are the worst of the creatures. That's in the Quran. But somehow, we went from the Islam of the Middle East to the Islam that has been introduced by the politicians and the propagandists of the West. That somehow, Islam is an Abrahamic faith, or Islam is in the same category as Christianity and Judaism even though that Islam is totally anti-Jews and anti-Christians, even though everywhere in the Quran, everywhere in the Hadith, everywhere that is doc there's any Islamic documents, Christians or Jews are persecuted. Places like where I come from, Iran, Iraq. Have you heard a Jewish community in Saudi Arabia? It is so Abrahamic faith that there are no Jews or no Christians in Saudi in the birthplace of Islam. But these are this this is stuff that I have been learning in the Western world that oh Islam is one of the branches of Abraham. That's very, very even though Abraham, according to Galatians, heard the gospel. Read chapter three of the book of Galatians. It's talking about Abraham hearing the gospel. Abraham believed in Jesus. Abraham believed and counted unto him as righteousness even though abrahamic faith means believing in, in in jesus and everything islam teaches everything islam teaches is against christianity against the deity of christ his death his crucifixion his burial and his resurrection everything a believer a christian believer needs to believe in order to be considered as a christian is denied in the quran and it's denied by muslims but somehow in the West, we have been um, trained to believe that somehow this is one of the branches of the Abrahamic faith. 
I mean, because we've been taught time and time again, time and time again, that Islam originated from Abraham's son Ishmael, but you say that is not the case in the slightest. Absolutely not. Yeah. Wow. The Where do you think story, that came from? The whole story uh, is about a just uh, the if you study Mormonism and Islam, it's it's two um, um, uh, peas in a pot because both of them. Both founder of these two religions. They went outside to a place that no one were, no one was there, no witnesses. And the angel of light appears to them and tells them there is you, you have a message more than what we needed in the Bible. Both of them heard the same thing. And both of them practice the same thing. They're polygamists. Both of them were in some place that the angel of light, both of them have a gospel above and beyond what we need in the Bible. And the similarities are incredible. Anyway, but uh, the self-claimed prophet of Islam goes to this cave and the angel of light appears to him. And there are no witnesses to uh, prove this. There are no uh, people that they were there. There are no. And then uh, this angel uh, presses on him to the point of killing him to recite. Obviously, they say um, the story is that he was an illiterate man, which is a lie. He wasn't Ill illiterate because he was a businessman. And if you did business, he was a caravan um, a trader, a businessman. If you did any of that, means you knew uh, you could read or you could, uh, you have some education. But let's say he was illiterate. He goes there and he gets this angel of light, presses on his chest so hard that he's about to crush his chest and kills him. And uh, he becomes suicidal after that. And he was, he, uh, and um, because of this experience, he went to the edge to kill himself. And somehow that angel becomes Angel Gabriel. Later on, of course, these are uh, development after that. But after after he becomes the angel, that angel of light, which is Satan, appeared to him, becomes an Angel Gabriel, gives him this message that uh, the gospel um, is not sufficient and we need. Sharia, we need the law again. You need to practice by the works of man in order to earn salvation, which is we'll see what's well, what's the result of it today. So if this didn't begin during Abraham's time, when do you say it began? Seventh century after this is seventh century after the birth of Christ. Somewhere in somewhere in a desert in um in uh, in a place that's they call it now Medina or Mecca which is in current Saudi Arabia. How would you, as a former Muslim, how would you evangelize to a Muslim? I know you mentioned in a class that you were teaching how with Muslims, you can't just go out and say random things about Jesus. It's more of an action, right? Mm -hmm. Could you explain that? Explain, in order to get a Muslim to really believe what we're saying or to really believe the gospel it has to be an action thing not just words could you break that down absolutely so um i am it's not something that i have done or i don't do it today i have um um spoken to thousands of muslims since i have uh, converted to christianity so in every situation is different but the nature of man and what the gospel presents is always consistent. The man is separated from God in sin. And he, in the context of a Muslim, he's working his way to gain salvation, which is not working and it's very obvious. 
So presenting the gospel to them clearly, knowingly, that you understand the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for what? That Jesus, his sacrifice was necessary. That you know, because the, the story of Abraham is repeated in the Quran. The Muslims understand that, that Abraham took his son uh, over a mountain to kill. But why? It never finishes the story for them. So we explain that to them, why that sacrifice was necessary. Why you are a sinful person and you cannot be reconciled to God because the sin separates you from God. And you have to repent from your sins. And repentance is not enough by itself if the blood is not applied, you can't just say, God, forgive me. And you be for it doesn't work. The forgiveness without the blood of the lamb is not enough by itself. I know this is a mind boggling to some Christians that they will be listening to me, but you just can't say, God, forgive me. And God forgives you. You have to ask forgiveness through Christ because God just can't, you cannot just, um, uh, sweep your sins under the rug and forget it. Because if he does that, then he is not just. The justification has to be done through the blood of Jesus. Because what you deserved was put on J Jesus, that what Jesus deserved is be put on to you. It is, seems very simple, but you have to be articulate in order to explain to them what gospel means. And you do that in love, in respect. Sometimes, no matter how much you explain to them or how good of a case you make for Christianity, for a Muslim, at the end of the day, we would say, oh, it's beautiful. Christianity is, I believe in Jesus. Christianity is pretty and all that. But they would say this, Islam is better. Islam is more perfect. Than. Then you need, to be, you need to be able to tell them the absolute flaws that exist in islam itself so these are in every situation is different as i said i mean i have so many testimonies i have so many people come to know come come to know the lord uh through what uh, what i have been able to share during the feast of sacrifice during the different varieties of conversation i had and you just need to really be sensitive to the holy spirit and if you can be in a relationship with somebody, it is great, but you don't need to have a relationship. The relationship gospel is made up in the West again. Apostle Paul, when he went someplace to preach, he didn't make friends. He just preached the gospel. It is the foolishness of preaching the gospel that saves people because they need to hear it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. They need to hear it, that Jesus died for them. Muhammad has done nothing for him. Allah has done nothing for Muslims, nothing. Allah is a slave owner. The name Abdullah means a slave of Allah. This is the second most common name among Muslims. Jesus Christ reconciles you to the Father that you from you trans you transition from a slave to a son. You transition from a slave to a child of God. And you cannot compromise on that stuff. You need, you need to be able to explain it to them and you tell them that. So when you mentioned before that you don't need a relationship, you're not talking about relationship with Jesus. You're talking about relationship with whoever you're trying to evangelize to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you're, I'm talking about, they said that, okay, you have to have a, you have to, in order to evangelize a Muslim, you have to make, to make friends with them. But if you can't make friends with them, means you don't tell them about the Lord. I'm talking about this because relationship uh, evangelism, it's another made up things in the West. Mm. You don't need any relationship with anybody to tell them about the Lord. Because if you have this long-term relationship, they find flaws in your life to tell you, oh, you're a hypocrite too. But God uses the foolishness of preaching of the gospel. That's what Apostle Paul calls it. The foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. That's the word of God. That when you tell somebody that he, he, was, he died for your sins, he was buried for your sake for three days, and he resurrected on the third day. And if you believe in this simple message, you will have eternal life. You have to trust the Holy Spirit to open their eyes. The false, the false falls off their eyes that they can see the truth. Otherwise, it's going to be just you will, you will have a friendship for for the rest of your lives. And, and somehow in this relationship, you will expect them to ask questions, which we, they, will, they will never will. There's one question that always comes up. Mm -hmm. Or one statement that always comes up, and we went over this earlier, where the main thing a person trying to evangelize to a Muslim says about Christianity, and the main thing that's always said is, well, God has no son. Mm -hmm. How do you answer that? Oh, I love that question. I, I have answered hundreds of Muslims that one question. So I, this is how I answered your question with a beautiful question. Very simple. So God can't have a son, but you believe that God is almighty, he's all-powerful, and he can do all things, but he can't have a son? So in the same sentence, as when I say that, they realize they're contradicting themselves. Very simple. So, oh, you believe? So So God is almighty, yes? They say yes. God can do all things, yes, but he can't have a son? Oh, okay. And then they realize. How stupid that argument is. What do you say to Muslims who may be watching right now, who are, who stuck around <laughs> to listen to you, to your testimony? What do you say to them? What would you say right now? There is no salvation in Islam and you know it very well. You have been praying, you have been fasting and none of it is working. But if you believe in Jesus as your own personal savior, if you repent of your sin and you believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life. And that's the good news, that God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son, his only son, his most important thing. He sent it and he killed it. He sacrificed it for your sake. And if you believe that, you will have eternal life. And the Bible says, and if you do that, you are already past you're already passed through death to life. You will have eternal life now in this life, not in the future. Now you're living with God starts now and you will know it. That is something that you will never experience in Islam and Islam has nothing to offer you. Amen. Could you do me a favor, Muhammad? Could you pray for those watching not just the Muslims, but for those who are longing to know the Lord and just don't know or are on the edge or who whose heart may be softening right now as they hear you speak. Could you pray for them to help them to know that Jesus Christ is the only way? 
the truth and the life and that he loves them so much that he cared enough to die for them and raise again. So could you just pray for them and pray for their hearts to be softened? Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for whoever is watching, whoever, whoever is hearing, I pray that, Father, you touch their hearts. You open their minds. You open their ears. You give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That they can hear. They can clearly hear what we are saying. That they can see the love and the mercy and the goodness of you, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you touch them. You touch them in a way that they cannot deny your absolute miraculous ways of going above the man's mind. You take these words and you add the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Holy Spirit to it, that you wash and touch those ears and minds and hearts, that this word, which is the tr absolute truth, will pierce their hearts and they have a the, the, the ignites a fire in them for yourself, the fire of loving Christ, accepting him as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. 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 Muhammad Ferrardi, thank you so much for joining us for this interview and sharing your amazing, life-changing testimony. Of course. Um, Jennifer, I wrote a book called Forsaking My Father's Religion. Right here. Let me put it closer a little. Yep. Amen. Okay. And what's the book about? It's a short version of what I shared with you about my testimony. It's called Forsaking My Father's Religion. It is totally free. If somebody emails um, uh, via emails that you will make available uh, on this interview, which is dnmi at yahoo.com. DNMI. D-N-M-I at yahoo.com. If somebody requests this book, I can uh, send a PDF version. Or if they request a um, hard copy, it is absolutely free. And I'll be glad to send it to anyone that is requesting it. That's so great. And read. I'm going to have everything at the bottom for you. So for those of you watching, uh, if you want to contact Muhammad, all contact information will be at the bottom description. Mm -hmm. His website, how to get his book, mm -hmm. so forth and so on. So... Again, thank you so much, Mohammed. Of course. And I know one thing. God is a good God, and he has showed his love toward man by sacrificing his son. That is what I know.